Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. episode of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball we are back uh, 11 days ahead of the major league baseball trade deadline minor league races continue to uh to heat up uh all across the minor league landscape my name is tyler mon along with sam dykstra in new york city it's a an old school episode today it's just me and you for segment numero uno and uh, benjamin hill joins us later yeah what what year is it 2018 it feels like 2018. It's a much uh, good, great things uh, are ahead world. for all of us. This decade's going to end. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait yeah. to see what comes in the new decade. It's going to be terrific. Once yeah. 2020 comes along, that's our year, buddy. That's everybody's year. Um, well, thanks for hanging out with us on this week's episode of the show. Before the show, you can get in touch with us podcast at MILB.com with any of your questions, your thoughts, your comments about the minor league baseball season, uh, and anything else minor league baseball related. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. We are, uh, very excited about our guest on this week's episode of the show before the show. We're going to tease that coming up for you here in a little bit. Uh, but we're also as noted just a little while ago. Coming up on the Major League Baseball trade deadline, the draft now in the rearview mirror. We've got some signings already from top prospects who have inked their deals, Paul Skeens included. Uh, So we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, this is a a fun time of year. This is also a time of year, Sam, that comes with a little bit of anxiety for players. Uh, If you're a top prospect and your team is contending or your team uh, is out of it and is looking to make some sort of moves for 2024 and beyond, this is a time of year that comes with a little bit of uh, unspoken uh, electricity in clubhouses and dugouts and not necessarily the easiest of that type of energy, um, but always a very interesting time of year around late July. Yeah. I mean, hug watch is very much on yeah. in, in clubhouses, both at the major league level and the minor league level. Um, you know, if you're a prospect for a contending team, I, I, we've heard this before from players of like, Hey, it's weird not knowing if you're going to get a tap on the shoulder and be like, Hey, you're going elsewhere. Or if you have a phone call that's coming, uh, saying like, Hey, we traded you to X team. And th- that can be difficult for prospects for sure. Cause that's the, in many cases, that's the only team you've ever known. Um, and you get traded and uh, it's one of my favorite questions to ask guys after that is like, do you see it as another team wanted to acquire you or that a team traded you away? And in most cases they'll say it's nice to be wanted because they could take anybody in a trade, not anybody, obviously, but you know, there's a bunch of options and they, you were the one they picked. They, you were the one they singled out and said, I want you in this trade, which is nice to feel wanted in that way, but still you got to pack up 
everything, especially if you're in the minor leagues and like you're on the road, you got to call folks and just say like, Hey, can you pack up my apartment? And now I'm going to Fort Wayne or now I'm going to Hillsboro, Oregon, or what have you, like it can be really difficult. So uh, it's exciting from a fan perspective. I remember getting really excited by the trade deadline. I mean, I still am because we're sitting here now. There hasn't really been a blockbuster to go down yet, and that could happen at any moment. Um, but from a from a player perspective, yeah, there's a little bit of that anxiety. Even if you like, you know, you're a major leaguer and you could be traded to a contender, and you want to go towards a winner, it's still a big life change. So it's 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 kind of a crazy time of year. It's a crazy time of year, and like you said, I mean, it is. Uh, it is fraught with all kinds of different emotions for guys who find themselves at the center of these things. I remember uh, my first season in the minor leagues in 2009 being around a, a Pirates prospect, uh, or at the time, an Atlanta prospect who was traded to the Pirates as part of a deal uh, in 2009 named Jeff Locke. And Jeff Locke played, I think, seven big league seasons. Um, but it was a, uh, you know, a guy who was part of uh, a deal that sent him uh, from one franchise to another. This is uh, the type of deal in 2009 here, talk about remembering some guys, uh, <laughs> Jeff Locke was traded by Atlanta with Gorky Hernandez and Charlie Morton to the Pittsburgh pirates for Nate McClough. Remember Nate McClough? Wow. There you go. Um, I mean, Charlie Morton's still around. Charlie Morton's still, yeah, he's still doing it. And I think Gorky Hernandez was still playing, uh, overseas as of, I want to say he was, uh, in, now, I'll have to look this up and see if I remember this correctly or not. Um, but I do remember talking to Jeff Locke in uh, the moments after he had been traded. The team was on the road. He came back to get his stuff in Myrtle Beach. And he said, you know, I mean, the first thing you think is like, man, this, this team doesn't want me anymore. And it's a team that drafted you. It's a team that's developed you. And, and that's heartbreaking. But then you do start thinking about it from the standpoint of, oh, there's another team that does want me. And that's really cool. And uh, yeah, juggling all of those things when you're in your you know early 20s, in most cases, for so many of these guys, uh, you're still a teenager in some cases for, for other players. Um, that is that's a heavy weight to feel, but it is a uh, an exciting time for players uh, across the baseball spectrum, at least once you can get past the shock of, oh, I've been traded. Yeah, I mean, even a more recent example, we heard a story about this last year about James Wood yeah. getting traded in the Juan Soto blockbuster. And, right. and that was such a crazy day. I remember it because I do the Padres top 30. So you went throughout that entire day hearing Juan Soto to the Dodgers. That was the big rumor. But the Padres were kind of in the mix and then they pulled the trigger. I think the story that we heard was that he heard on the bus. Like they were on the bus to another game. It's not like you just get dropped off and you can go the other direction. Um, although Josh Jackson is going to tell a story similar to that decades ago, <laughs> that's a tease for ghosts of the miners later, but in the modern day, you don't just get off the bus, you stay on the bus. And then just like, those were guys he got really close to, especially Jackson Merrill. Those guys were, you know, very close because of how good they were. They came in in the same draft and then to find out he was traded, um, sounds like it was a very difficult moment. Now James Wood is doing very well in the national system. Um, you know, kind of a consensus top five prospect in the game. But yeah, it's even the big ones who are moved in blockbusters like that and become a centerpiece that it still affects them. Well, and the other thing that's wild, too, is that we are in an era now where, you know, formerly 15, 20, much less, you know, 40, 50, 80 years ago, 
Uh, you don't really hear about trades from being called into the office and having somebody sit you down and explain it to you. You hear about it on Twitter or you get a push notification or whatever it is. So, so many of these guys uh, are finding out in ways that are kind of shocking. I mean, if you just logged onto the internet and you found out that you had been traded from your job uh, to an entirely different company, that would be a little bit stunning. Uh, but that does happen a lot these days. And um, it is uh, it is a very delicate kind of area to try to navigate. Yeah. In an ideal world, that wouldn't happen. And like in most, I, I don't want to say in most cases, but like you would hope even in this day and age of social media and push notifications, like you say, um, that it would, you would hear from your agent or you would hear from your farm director or the GM that's acquiring you. Like that's the professional way to go about this, but not every prospect is going to find out that way. That's just the, the truth of the matter. Like sometimes information flies very quickly uh, and it flies to a journalist just as quickly as it flies to your farm director or to your agent. So yeah, it's kind of a crazy time we live in, but Hopefully everybody finds out through the proper channels. Knock on wood. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's that's our hope anyways. Well, there are many uh, potential deals in the... This has the feel of a year where we're going to see all kinds of crazy trades and not just because uh, potentially the, the biggest name in baseball, the most talented player in baseball uh, could be on the trade block and that's Shohei Otani. Um, Sam, do you have an idea of trade pieces, top prospects who could make sense to be moving in a different direction. And uh, the the elephant in the room is a Shohei Otani deal actually possible? I mean, technically, yes. But I think a lot of people are getting wrapped up and like, oh, this is a rental for Shohei Otani. He's a free agent in the offseason. Teams are like, or fans anyways, are like, you're only getting him for a few months. You don't want to overpay for a rental. But you are getting two players in one. <laughs> You're not just getting a rental. You're getting essentially like two guys, one guy you can put in the lineup, one guy you can put in the rotation. And he's really, really good at both. I mean, we're talking Aaron Judge was even acknowledging the other day his AL record might go away because of Otani. Um, so it's really you're, insane. You're trying to trade essentially for maybe the best hitter in baseball uh, and a guy who could be, you know, 2008 Brewers CC Sabathia for the rest of the season on the mound also. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, this is certainly not your standard quote unquote rental deal at the end. Right. Yeah. It's, it's going to take, I don't want to say like a Juan Soto esque deal because that involved multiple years of control and all that. And that was multiple major leaguers, CJ Abrams and, and Mackenzie Gore, and then really good prospects below that too. I don't think it's going to be quite that, but it's going to hurt. It's, it's not going to be one of those deals where it's just like, Oh, it's too good prospects and that's it. It's going to, it's going to really deplete a system. It's going to hurt. Um, so when you start to look at like who has the prospects to, to pull that off, I'm the Dodgers immediately come to mind because they are just so deep right now on our top 100. They have eight top 100 prospects, which is most in baseball tied with the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles would also uh, make a lot of sense. Like, it would be fascinating to see the Orioles cash their, in their chips on Shohei Otani. Like we've been long wondering, are they going to turn the corner? And um, so like, it, it would be really interesting to see them try to go for Otani, trade a lot of those position players that they have who are basically major league ready. So it would satisfy an ability for the angels. Cause it sounds like if they're going to trade Otani, they don't want to really miss a beat. They don't want to just be like, all right, this is the start of our rebuild. When you have Anthony Rendon for multiple years, even though he hasn't been great, Mike Trout, who's currently injured, but still 
you know, when healthy, a top five player in baseball. Um, they don't want to just be kickstarting a rebuild with this trade. They want multiple guys who can contribute right away or be close to contributing right away. So that would be fascinating to see the Orioles try to pull that off. I don't think it's going to happen. And we're already hearing that like Artie Moreno, who is like looming over this entire deal, right? The owner of the Angels doesn't want to trade to the Dodgers because they're crosstown rivals. I put that quote unquote. Yeah. Not even in the same county, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the lo- the other local team. Like, he doesn't want to see Otani thrive over there. Otani very well might sign with the Dodgers. I going to say, offseason. I got bad news for Artie Murray. Yeah. Because there's a, your quote-unquote crosstown rival has been uh, saving up the bank uh, to back up a Brinks truck to Shohei Otani's uh, house or, um, you know, compound at some point over this offseason. Yeah, right. It's it. it I don't know. We'll see. Like the Dodgers could definitely make a Godfather-esque offer and somebody would have to be the adult in the room for the Angels and just be like, listen, this is very, very good for a guy we're, it seems like likely to lose in the offseason. This is huge. Um, we'll see. Like as of, as we're sitting here right now, the Angels are only four and a half games back. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. Card. That yeah. is the the other thing that I think people right now probably don't uh, consider as as much of a possibility is the angels are not dead. Uh, the angels are four and a half out of the wild card. They've won three straight. They are over 500. They're a game back of, of the Yankees. They are two games back of Boston um, and only four and a half out of a playoff spot. This is a team that well, we have all wanted in the baseball world for the last decade is a team that can be uh, befitting the talents of Mike Trout and now Shohei Otani and getting them in a position where they have the opportunity to succeed on the postseason stage, that's still possible. Now, obviously, Mike Trout being out uh, at various times this season, that has affected the the pieces of the puzzle for the Angels, knowing that he's going to be around for a long time uh, and could get back. And, you know, Hammond injuries obviously are, are very difficult to come back from, but if anybody's going to be able to come back from something and be hopefully the same guys we've seen before, it's Mike Trout. Can you get him into the playoffs? Can you make this happen? Shohei Otani, I think, very much wants to be a guy who got the Angels to that place uh, and has the ability to get them over the hump uh, and get Mike Trout some playoff success and build something for that franchise to go off of. There's a reason Shohei Otani picked the Angels. Uh, He has expressed that he doesn't want to play for an East Coast team. Uh, He wants to be on the West Coast. I think he very much wants to have success with the Angels rather than being a rental somewhere else. Um, Another, I think, very intriguing element in this whole thing, uh, and I'm not sure if it's an intriguing element for a trade necessarily, but uh, the Seattle Mariners are Mm -hmm. a team that is hanging around right behind the Angels. Uh, They're five and a half games out of a playoff spot. They're a game back of the Angels in the division and in the wild card race. Uh, We all saw the video of fans of the all-star game chanting come to Seattle uh, and Shohei Otani said afterwards, Hey, I spent an entire off season here. And every time I come here, I'm really impressed with the fans of blah, blah, blah. There is obviously a long and illustrious history of Japanese players in Seattle uh, and ties between the Mariners organization and Japan, which of course was formerly uh, owned the Mariners system uh, or the Mariners organization by uh, the, the CEO, the founder of Nintendo. There are so many ties there. That would be a very logical fit down the road for Shohei Otani. Now, is that franchise going to have enough money? 
I don't know. They have three top 100 prospects uh, led by Harry Ford, also Cole Young and Gabriel Gonzalez. Uh, So they don't necessarily have quite the same currency as the Dodgers who have eight top 100 prospects, but there are a lot of teams out there that you think, oh, this would be a fit for them as well, including apparently uh, the Colorado Rockies, whose owner Dick Montfort sent an email saying, oh, it'd be fun for a couple of months to get Joey Otani. Um, but for serious organizations, there are a lot of them that really do present very interesting um, scenarios for where he's going to end up. Yeah, I mean, the Mariners would be super interesting if the re- standings were flipped. You talk about them being behind the Angels right now. That would that would be really weird for them to be the aggressors. Although Jerry Depoto, trader Jerry, Jerry right, Depoto, right. who has traded you and me personally, Tyler, many times, times, many yeah. times. Uh, so and you can never rule him out being involved. But again, like if they're not going to trade to the Dodgers because they're just a local team, would they trade to a division rival who they actually have to play multiple times? I I don't see that happening. Maybe, like you say, in the offseason, that's definitely a consideration for Otani if the Mariners can scrounge up the cash uh, to make it happen. Some other wild cards I'll kind of throw out. The Cincinnati Reds have a major need for pitching. He would satisfy that. And can you imagine Otani in that lineup? Next to Ellie De La Cruz and Matt already, uh, as they have called themselves, already America's team, the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, and if you add the most exciting dude in baseball to that team, man, in that ballpark too, which is yeah, very hitter friendly. In a uh, in a bandbox ballpark, hitting in a lineup with Joey Votto and with Ellie De La Cruz, and uh, that man, that would be so much fun. Now it would again, it would hurt. Like you're probably trading somebody like Christian Encarnacion Strand to make that happen. You're probably letting go of Noel V. Marte. Um, Edwin Arroyo is probably going to... Noel like, V. Marte, who they just acquired in another trade deadline deal last year, by right. the way. Yeah. Right. Uh, and all those trades have actually looked really good. I mean, I'm sure they would love to have Luis Castillo right now, but like getting Marte, getting Arroyo, getting Encarnacion Strand, Spencer Steer, who's been a great rookie for them. They have the young pieces to pull this off. It's just, are they willing to really go for it in that NL Central, which is very winnable? And here's one that I just I can't get out of my head. I don't think it's going to happen. They're not the team to do this. And if they do get him, they're not going to extend him. Tampa Bay Rays would be so crazy. Man, that would be so much fun. That would be so much fun. Like, what if they just decided, hey, now is the time? Yeah, we got to go for it. Let's do it. This is the guy you kind of abandon your principles. They're, They're one of the teams that hugs their prospects more than anybody else. Like it's them in Cleveland who refuse to trade their prospects. Right. I get it. But man, if you if you give up, like Junior Caminero is going to be on the table for that. But if you give him up and like Curtis Mead and Carson Williams, it's tough for the Angels to say no to that. Yeah. And those are guys, especially Mead is knocking on that door as an option. Man, I, I, I'd like to see it. I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be something. The Tampa Bay Rays, who, by the way, uh, were at one time on pace for the greatest season in baseball history. They have really come back to earth. Um, They are technically on win percentage. They are in second place in the American League East now behind the Baltimore Orioles, who are 58 and 37. The Rays have two more wins, but they also have two more losses. They're 60 and 39. Uh, So the winning percentage is slightly back of Baltimore. So the Rays have gone from, you know, this team that we thought, are they going to win 120 games? What's going to happen with this team? They are a much more normal looking good team, uh, but man, that'd be fun. And uh, yeah, it would be the most 
unorthodox thing that I think we've ever seen that organization do based on their philosophy. But man, if you would have told us at the beginning of the season that we would get to July 20th and the three division leaders in the American League would be the Orioles, the Twins, and the Rangers, I'm not sure how many people would have had that on their bingo cards. The Orioles, okay, There's there was certainly an argument to be made there that that team was going to find it. They were going to start clicking uh, with all that prospect. The Twins, sorry, American League Central fans, but it seems like you could just throw out any 26 guys and they could lead that division uh, in 2023. And the Rangers, I mean, that's the Bruce Bochy effect. That's a team that they went all in with some big signings over the last few years. Now you bring in a manager who really has a, a feel for what it takes to be successful and get to the postseason and win World Series titles. Um, I love that story uh, for the Rangers. I think they are such a fun team to watch. But yeah, not necessarily the uh, the three I would have picked um, You know, in March that uh, coming up on the trade deadline, we'd be looking at as division leaders. Uh, one team that we also have not discussed there is such a narrative out nationally, and I think it's because it's the low-hanging fruit narrative that anybody can do this at any time in a year. But uh, there's also the, oh, are the Yankees going to go out and try to grab him? I yeah, don't I mean, see they, that happening. I don't see that happening because, like, they're, guess who the Angels just swept? <laughs> it was the New York Yankees. Right. That so, is a like, team that is not playing. They're, they're two and eight in their last ten. They've lost four straight. They're three games over 500. I also, I just don't know. Yes, obviously that changes the calculus with a team, but I mean, is Shohei Otani enough for that team right now? That's a that's a pretty middle of the road looking team at 50 and 47. Well, listen, I mean, you put him in that rotation next to Garrett Cole, and you're going to be it so much better. And you put him in that park, right? I mean, right. Like some yeah, of the tanks he hits now are going to be, yeah, it, that's going to be huge. Um, I still, I know you're talking about like when he first signed, he preferred the West coast. I would still expect and kind of hope the Yankees make a run at him. Cause if they're not, what are they doing oh, they will. with that budget? Yeah, they certainly will over the, they certainly season. will. So like that, that option is available to them. I just don't think they have necessarily the pieces to pull it off right now. They have some prospects that I like, you know, Jason Dominguez is really good. Spencer Jones has had a pretty good first year. He's striking out a lot more than I think many people would like, but he's a huge outfielder in an organization that knows how to develop those guys. So they have something to pull off. Uh, it would kind of be like the Padres last year. And you look at the system and like, it's not great, but they have just enough to get Soto. It would be that for the Yankees. Now, do you want to deplete all of that for half a season rather than multiple years of Soto? That's, you know, a debate Ryan Cashman can have, but I think they're just going in the wrong direction, but you know, it, it this might all be moot again. Like we're talking about the angels as if they're completely out of it. They're not. Uh, so there's still, as we're sitting here on the 20th trade deadline is August 1st. Um, there's still some time here, but it, I love talking about this stuff and being in that area where we still don't know answers, man. I got to ask one thing. Uh, and this is a baffling one to me. What is the deal with the Kansas city Royals? This is a, a topic obviously that doesn't just lend itself into uh, trade deadline discussions and all that. But that team, we know what's going on in Oakland uh, and the the roster that the A's have put out there in 2023. The Kansas City Royals are only a game and a half better than that team. The A's are 27 and 71. The Royals are 28 and 69. They've got a run differential of minus 159 this season. Um, they are 15 and 35 at Kauffman Stadium. They're 13 and 34 on the road. They're 14 and 46 against teams over 500. And there was a time in the last few years when we thought, man, 
the Royals are building something in that system. They got a lot of pitching. They obviously have shown that they can develop talent very well uh, with a a World Series title within the last decade that was predicated largely on homegrown players. I know Dayton Moore moving on and all that type of stuff. There have been some changes there, but man, that franchise, not only do they not really have uh, a lot of talent at the major league level and therefore some huge trade pieces, and they dealt a Roldis Chapman, which was somewhat baffling. The Roldis Chapman was in Kansas City to begin with, but um, they don't have a single top 100 prospect either. Uh, And I'm not just meaning this to drag the Royals, but what has happened there? Yeah, I mean, Kansas City, you talk about they had a lot of pitching. They did have pitching options. Yeah. The biggest problem for them was finishing those guys off was getting that like Brady Singer right had a time where he looked like okay this is the success story and this year hasn't been great i mean he's took a downturn the thing i will say about that is they have implemented some pitching philosophies and pitching development this year that is starting to turn that corner it is a slow process it's like a ship turning at sea it's not just a quick yui it's slow and building and you're starting to see it at the lower levels um with guys like Frank Mazzucato and Bed Ben Kuderna, um, but those guys just got to high A. I mean, it's it's going to be a while until we can really see. They have some other pieces like Alec Marsh, who I think is can be a really good pitcher. Um, he's starting to turn a corner too. It's just it's taking some time. And those guys who made the major leagues, Vinny Pasquantino is injured. He's out the rest right. of the year. Right. That's that's a big piece. That hurts a lot. Yeah. Bobby Witt Jr. is in fits and starts, looking like the the guy we thought he could be. I think he's getting there, but he's still super young. Yeah. I think that gets lost in that conversation of like oh what happened to Bobby Witt Jr. he's not the superstar some of these guys are yeah he's, he's really still... not having that bad of a season I mean no for, he's having a, a really yeah, good season a, a very respectable season for a guy who is still uh you know one of the younger players as a major league regular I mean this is a guy who was born this millennium like Bobby Witt right. Jr. just turned 23 last month so I'm not I'm not writing that dude off he's also hitting 256 with an OPS that's around 750 this year like you know they are very similar numbers to what he did last season but last season he started the year as a big league regular at 21 yeah. I'm not yeah I'm not writing off Bobby Witt Jr. No, but it's still like it's going to be some growing pains. They've identified this year as kind of like we're going to find out some stuff about ourselves and maybe they have. And that's why they've implemented those pitching development changes. Those started before the year began. Uh, It's just going to take some time. Yes, Gavin Cross is not taken off in the way you would hope. Um, Frank Mazzucato is kind of like a borderline top 100 guy, but is walking more than I would like. And he was repeating a level at single A to begin the year. So now we find out a little bit more about him at high A. There's some interesting pieces there, but if they're really using this year as a see and find out year, they found out some stuff and they're going to have to make some changes in the offseason in terms of like going out and acquiring better players and building around that core that is still there. It just it needs to they need to be supplementing and they, they really haven't done that. Um, Araldis Chapman, they turn into Cole Reagan's right who like is now throwing upper 90s in ways that really surprise Rangers fans. Yeah. Um, So like, that's something you do. You go out and identify other pitchers and you bring them in. They can still make some trades here coming up that I think are going to bulk up that system. How much we'll see. We're talking about relievers. They're moving. I don't think they're going to move any huge pieces, Uh, but you know, there's still some work to be done, but it is being done. You can kind of see the pieces of it in ways that it's a little bit more difficult to see in Oakland. Uh, In case anybody was wondering, by the way, uh, Gorky Hernandez is still playing, 
uh, or at least he was as of this winter league. He was with the Cardinales of Lara in the uh, Venezuelan uh, winter league. So I know you were all dying to know. And yes, Gorky Hernandez still kicking around. He was in the Mexican league over the last few years. He was most recently an affiliated ball in 2019 in the Red Sox organization. So now, you know. The rest of the story, like Paul Harvey. Uh, all right, let's continue. <laughs> and Sam, uh, as we get close to the trade deadline, the players will be potentially future trade prospects uh, or will be the uh, guys necessitating big prospect packages in trades, the future stars of Major League Baseball. 2023 MLB first-year player draft class. Uh, we're already seeing some deals inked, some other deals that are probably close to being signed. Uh, where do we stand right now in some of the most notable talent uh, and some of the top picks who have already signed or seem to be on the verge of, or maybe you're a little bit uh, further away from signing than we thought. Yeah. Um, so the big one, obviously, is going to be number one overall pick, Paul Skeens out of LSU. The Pirates have already signed him for $9.2 million, which is a draft record. It breaks the previous record held by Spencer Torkelson in 2020. He signed for $8,416,300. So that's a essentially breaking the record by $800,000, which is reflective, of course, of Skeen's talent. I mean, he's we've said he's MLB Pipeline's top prospect in this draft. Um, guy can touch 102 with ease. He's got a plus-plus slider. I mean, it's stuff that you play immediately in the major leagues, and that's why I think the Pirates took him uh, because they think, like, hey, this is a future ace that's really difficult to draft and develop. Like, guys don't come this ready-made as, as Skeen's is. Um, but it's also reflective of just the economics of baseball right now, because even that $9.2 million signing is $500,000 lower than the slot value for the number one overall pick this year. So bonus pools are rising to reflect the, the economics of the game. So we're going to see these records kind of continually broken over the next few years, which is good. It's good for players. It's good for the game that we are seeing this level of investment, obviously, you kind of wonder what could Skeens get if he was out on the open market and not drafted, but as a conversation for a different day. Um, but the fact that he's already signed is, is really promising and, and a good sign for the Pirates. And just, you know, for the rest of us, there's no signing day drama. Uh, who's it going to be? We're still waiting on Dylan Cruz uh, to officially sign with the Nationals, speaking with Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline, our colleague, who has been tweeting out signing bonus stuff left and right. If you're not following Jim on Twitter, uh, Jim Callis, MLB, please do so. He's He's been like the king of this, breaking all this news. Um, he's not worried about basically anybody signing. Uh, I was on the MLB Pipeline podcast this week, and he put the over-under on the guys who won't sign in the top 10 rounds at one. Um, just because, you know, there's that risk of like, if you don't sign, you're going back to school, you're risking a signing bonus that's right in front of you. Um, all of this stuff is pretty easy to figure out in terms of the economics of it. There's not a ton of negotiation to go into it. Um, so fully expect Dylan Cruz to sign, especially being the number two overall pick. Like there's only one spot he can go higher. And if he's going back next year as a senior, he loses a lot of negotiation uh, points. So fully expect him to sign. He just hasn't done it yet. Uh, Max Clark signed with the Tigers for $7.7 million. That's a little below slot. Wyatt Langford signed for $8 million with the Rangers. That was a little above slot, which was $7.7 million. Still also waiting for Walker Jenkins to sign with the Twins. But again, fully expect that to happen before the deadline on the 25th. Um, so, you know, that stuff's going to come out slowly before next Tuesday. 
but fully expect it to happen. Don't panic yet if you're a Twins fan or a Nationals fan and being like, why hasn't this happened yet? Shouldn't it all be buttoned up? There's a lot of things for these guys are waiting for. My guess, and this is completely a guess, it's an educated one, but it's a guess. I think Cruz is kind of waiting for the Nationals to sign everybody else and just see what's left. Um, and then he wants all of it, which is totally his right to do. Like you, you can, can imagine see, having that as an option in your life. Like, yeah. He's going to see what the pot is at the end of this. And then I won all of it, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and they can go 5% over their bonus pool without losing a pick. Like they, they have to pay an overage tax, but like they're going to be willing to do that to make sure they get Dylan Cruz. So um, I'm, I don't think he's going to sign for above 9.2 million. That's just not how the math is going to work. It's probably going to be around 9 million. Still heck of a payday uh, for Dylan Cruz. It's just not going to break the record already set by his former LSU teammate. Um, so just, you know, some something to keep an eye out before the signing deadline on the 25th, but don't expect any drama. I don't think there's going to be a Kumar rocker situation here unless there's something about a medical we're not hearing, but it doesn't seem that way so far. Uh, the latest development in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes, by the way, is not much of a development, but our friend, uh, John Morosi tweeted a little while ago, the angels have not made a decision as of yet. They will likely wait to the final 24 to 48 hours before the deadline, uh, before they make a decision. So teams continue to contact the angels about potential trade possibilities. Um, that is, I mean, as much of an earth shifting type of deal, as is conceivably possible in baseball. So it's going to be something that's fun to watch over the next 11, 12 days uh, as the trade deadline gets closer and closer. Uh, well, coming up, we are really excited. We're headed to the Buffalo Bisons organization this week. And uh, Sam, this is an interview that uh, we were both really excited to get a chance to do. Buffalo GM Anthony Sprague is going to be with us talking about a super fan and a very unique recognition for that super fan. Yeah, on September 2nd, the Buffalo Bisons will be give, giving out a bobblehead for superfan Mark Eichinger. Uh, and if you've ever been to a Buffalo game, you probably know who Mark is. He's got uh, a very loud, boisterous personality in the best possible way. He gives the Bisons true home field advantage, uh, which I love. And it's it's funny to hear Anthony tell these stories because it's not just fans who know who Mark is. It's opposing teams. It's members of the Bisons. It's people who haven't played there in years. Uh, remember who he is. They even honored him with a cardboard cutout uh, back when the Blue Jays played in Buffalo uh, during the shortened 2020 season. So uh, in his he, seat, by the way, in his own seat, it was right. in I his mean, there could be nobody seat, else, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, we also were informed by Anthony that Mark will be listening to this episode. So hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Uh, <laughs> we're very happy for you. We're very yeah, excited for you. To so get excited for this bobble. This is awesome. Yeah, so it's already out in the world. You can already see what it looks like on uh, the Buffalo Bisons website. But here's us talking to GM of the Bisons, Anthony Sprague. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, we're very pleased this week to be joined on the show before the show uh, by Buffalo Bison's GM, Anthony Sprague, who came out with a very fun and a, a very unique 
bobblehead this week honoring superfan Mark Eichinger. Uh, Anthony, first off, thanks so much for, for being here and joining us. How are you doing? Um, awesome. No, I'm excited to be here and appreciate the invite for uh, from you guys, Sam Tyler. Um, but obviously very excited to po- talk about our boy Mark. Yeah, Mark, Mark is, if you've ever been to a Buffalo Bisons game, you know who Mark is, even if you don't know his name. Um, he's one of the loud, like I said, super fans that every team kind of has, but is unique to Buffalo in his way. Kind of take us through, like, what it, kind of presence does Mark bring to the ballpark? Boy, I mean, you talk about a, a presence is a good way to, to, to put it. So every day um, when you're walking the concourse, getting ready for the game, sometimes gates could be open, um, sometimes not. You know when Mark has arrived. Um, because he'll, he may be across the street, he may be kind of entering the plaza, but he is going to uh, let out a humongous hey as soon as he sees the first person. And I'm telling you, it's through the concourse. Our, our fans, um, staff, they'll hear that, and oh, Mark's here. Mark is here, and that's his way to announce his, his presence, that uh, he's arrived at the game. He'll make his stops along the way say hi to the vendors, the ticket takers, all his friends. It's usually about a 10-minute process before he enters the actual seating bowl. And when he enters the seating bowl, it's another, hey, especially if the visiting team's out there, you stink. Um, as, as he starts coming in, he'll drop his bag at his, uh, at his seat and, uh, and then usually kind of go make his way back out to the, to the concourse. He'll yell at the, the other team if they're there again, if they kind of acknowledge him. Then he knows he's got them, and uh, and he's going to have fun with them all game. So um, it's quite a process for for when he he gets here and he comes into the ballpark. Yeah, and you mentioned other teams recognize him because he's basically an international league legend at this point. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody who's ever played against the Bisons knows that they stink because of his <laughs> uh, name. You were talking about this before with the bobblehead, uh, which comes out in September, September second. Um, take us through the process of, of designing this and getting it through because Mark has been known for decades in Buffalo and this has been a long time coming. It feels like, yeah, I mean, I have been here for 20 years. Um, and Mark was well-established, um, before I got here. And, and when I was an intern, I kind of, you know, didn't know much about him or, or whatnot, but I was like, holy cow, that guy's crazy. Um, and then everyone's like, oh yeah, that's Mark. And, and, you know, it took you, took me a homestand to, to become friends with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, so honestly, this has been talked about probably for a decade, I would say <clears throat> fans around have, have, have pushed for it. We've talked about it. Um, <clears throat> and just trying to figure out the, the right time to do it. Um, I don't know if there was ever going to be a wrong time to do it as, as the, the results of, you know, the feedback and everything we got from them. But, um, you know, we had talked about it and it was kind of always on the, yeah, we should do this. We should do this. And then this off season, I think we kind of all just looked at each other and said, all right, what are we waiting for? Let's just do it. Let's go on with it. We, everyone kind of around the team and, and some fans were, were, were kind of the, the conversation was increasing a little bit. And, uh, and we said, yep, let's do it. Um, I talked to his brother and sister. And, um, and we set up a, a time to, to go to his house and got him in his, his, well, what we consider his typical get up eyes and hat Jersey with his name on the back. 
um, shorts and, and it was in the dead of winter. I went there and he kept asking me why, why, why was I there? And, you know, I was like, Oh, don't worry about it, buddy. We're, we're just, it's just a promotion that we're, we're trying to figure out talking about the Jersey. I don't remember what I said to make stuff up, but he just, you know, he's smart enough. He knew something was going on. Um, and then we let him, let him know in May actually for the, when we did the recording and everything. So it's, uh, but the, you know, when we started to get the molds and everything, I mean, there, there was never a bobblehead that I've seen that, that, you know, you could hear when you see it and, and that spoke to you and it just is as dead on as this bobblehead is. Anthony, you've got a, a great video, uh, up on the site from when you told him, uh, and the thing that that strikes me is not only Mark's reaction and how excited he was, but the coolest thing about that video to me is after he sees the rendering of the bobblehead, what looks to be the entire front office pours in cheering for him. And it really shows you how much he means uh, to you guys as a team. What was that moment like for you uh, getting a chance? Obviously, you'd sort of been in communication with him, but to formally unveil it to him uh, and for the rest of your staff to be able to be there for that. Yeah, I mean, it was special. I mean, there, there's there's promotions every year that you kind of look forward to, moments of the year that you look forward to. And when we decided this one, that was the one that for me personally, he, he and I go so far back that I was, that was marked on my calendar. I could not wait to do that. And, um, you know, he he's, he's always a little, I don't want to say standoffish um, at times because it's, that's not, as you see him, his personality is not the way, but when you explain something to him, he, he's, he wants to process and make sure he knows what's going on and he feeds off everybody else. That's why we wanted to have the staff there and everyone wanted to be there too. It was, it was like, Hey, we're going to do this. This is special for him. Um, and, and whenever you could see when everyone else kind of started to get excited for him, that's when he was like, Oh man, this is, this is a big deal. This isn't just something small and everyone started coming in and um no one mark it, it he gets excited about stuff he gets fired up but that was a different mark that was a you could tell he he was really touched by it and you know um it was 20 years that was easily i i don't know I, i'd have to really dig deep to try and find a better professional moment for me and and a and a, and something i'll remember forever we are in such a different era of minor league baseball nowadays with, um, you know, the wide scope of it and, uh, and MLB overseeing everything and all that. But the, this is something that kind of goes back to really the roots of minor league baseball. I mean, the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, where teams uh, had a fan base that formed such an intense emotional local connection. And it's not just about player development and moving guys along to the next level and all that. But there really is uh, an element of, oh, no, I cheer for for the Bisons because that's my team. That's the team that I love most. Um, what is it about, especially the way, uh, you know, Mark has not only uh, influenced your team, but uh, opposing teams that come in who he's always on uh, from, you know, first pitch or even before first pitch, it sounds like. Um, what, what do you hear from, you know, players, coaches, uh, managers, player development people, people who have gone through there to see somebody who's got such a connection to a local team? I would imagine the the realization of that from the people who are on the field has got to be really cool to, to hear about. It's amazing. And when we released that too, it was, it was the who's who of was reaching out and, and retweeting and, and quote tweeting all that, all that stuff and, and messaging us. 
it was it was crazy. People honestly, we we kind of forgot about that. Oh yeah, that, that's right. He he came through here, and um, but it yeah, it goes way beyond just just the Bison's crew. I mean, I I truly believe he could walk into any 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 major league stadium, um, because those are the guys that have kind of been through a little bit and and give a yell by a dugout and somebody from from each team would turn and say oh my god mark's here you got to be kidding me um so i it, it just even the visiting team when they come in you, you mentioned that, that they know about him too there's time like he works um he's got he, you know he's in a bowling league and he, he does all kinds of different stuff so he does miss a game or two here and there and you know, because, because of his, his, you know, his handicap and, and, and what people wonder like, Oh, geez, you know, so if he misses a game or, or heaven forbid two games in a row, um, the, the, the talk is I'll get a text message from, Hey, you know, everything okay with Mark and oh yeah, he's at bowling tonight or, or he's at a birthday party or <clears throat> whatever it is like, yeah, he's, he's fine. He's got something going or honestly, early on in the season, he's kind of a baby. Um, that he he'll watch the games from my office too because I can I have a nice view that he gets too cold he'll be out there for two innings and be like no 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 and then all of a sudden I'll get it we'll get a knock at the back door here and I know he's coming in to watch the rest of the game so um, but then people will say oh geez where's Mark I didn't see him what's going on or you didn't hear him on the radio yelling into the field mic that's right there um, but it, you know you always know he's here um you know, or, or he's at least listening for sure. Um, but yeah, the, the visiting team that, that, that come in, they all, they all know they, that when they come out, they look behind home plate to see if he's there. I gotta ask, he's in a bowling league. Does he, uh, does he go after his opponents in the bowling league? Is he yelling? He, no, he's, he's pretty at- calm about that. I would say there's, he's friends <laughs> with them all. Um, but he's right, intense. I can tell you, you know, he'll, he'll, he gets, you know, I think he averages like a hundred, I would say. I think, and I've bowled with them uh, many a time. Um, but if better than uh, I do, that's, no, he's 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 been doing <laughs> it forever, solid. and and he, you know, he's got the two-handed roll going. Um, but yeah, if a good song breaks out, don't trust me. He'll stop bowling and he'll he'll <laughs> cut a rug right on the bowling alley right there. Yeah, I feel like he's also a better sportsman than I would. If I was in a league with Tyler, I would be yelling at Tyler <laughs> all the time. You would. Same to sales yeah. me on this podcast, you said. Yes, I know. So yeah. It's, it's, uh, no, he when you're when you're in with Mark and you're you're a friend of Mark, you're you're your friend for life. And uh, regardless if there's a little a little competition going or whatnot, he he's all good with it for sure. All right. Well, let's get into the bobblehead a little bit in, in designing the bobblehead, what it looks like. I mean, you talk about how this was basically a decade in the making. I'm sure there's many different ways you could have gone about this, but also maybe not because it's got his iconic pose of him tugging on his sleeve. Kind of take people through. I know this is a non-visual podcast, people are, but kind of paint a picture for us of how the bobblehead came out. Yeah, we were trying. I mean, look, he's got He's, you know, like I said, he's been here way, but he's 30 years. So he has every jersey, every cap, everything that you can you can imagine. So, man, that was that was a hard part to try and figure out, okay, what jerseys he gonna wear. You know, his favorite forever was was Tori Lavello's um Bison's jersey from from when he when he when he played here and then when he managed here too. So that one was in in consideration for us. But then our clubhouse manager got him a nice red Bison's one with his name on the back, <clears throat> um, j- 
just named Mark on the back because that's how everybody everybody knows him. So we kind of opted for that one because that's been in the last couple of years been one of his favorites. He's got his uh, jean shorts on, you know, black socks and sneakers. And that's, you know, when we were talking about it, it was like, okay, everyone, everyone in the room kind of said, okay, what do you, what do you envision of Mark when he's coming in? And, and that was it. That was the one that, that, that we got. Um, We almost, so you, Hey, he has a batting helmet now too, because we used to have netting that went all the way across the top. So we could just wear a cap. But now when he sits out there, we got him a little batting helmet because, you know, Mark, let God love him. He, he's not going to catch a pop-up. Um, and so we don't want him to hit him right in the dome or anything like that. So we, we got him that, but we still went with a, with a traditional uh, Bison's cap. All right. And we were talking a little bit about this before, but uh, I feel like this is something that every club could do, but not every club has done. Um, so when you go to the winter meetings this year or, you know, whatever version of the promo seminar exists now and start to tell other clubs, what are you going to tell them about this process and, and honoring a super fan that every, every team doesn't have Mark exactly. Mark is one of one, but like every team has that one fan that's always there and is recognizable and, and can be honored. Yeah. I hope this, I hope this does kind of open the floodgates a little bit because you're absolutely right. Every, every team certainly has at least one or two fans like this. And maybe, um, <clears throat> maybe you were a little, a little nervous as we were, um, what the potential reaction could, could have been, um, uh, about just doing a fan. Some teams may say, Oh, geez, how do we pick one fan over another? If we do this one, you know, or other season ticket holders or longtime fans going to be slighted that they weren't picked. Um, but I think, you, you, you know, you hit it the nail on the head that you, you can do this. And, and, you know, we're, we're a, you know, I want to say a copycat um, uh, leagues, if you will. We see one team do something good. We know it can work in our market. We're not in competition with each other. We work in conjunction with each other. So, yeah, I'm going to tell them, look, this, this has been, you know, the, the, you know, look, I knew it was going to be my favorite promotion of the year, but I think it's be, going to become, a lot of people's favorite promotion this year and no doubt that every team should look at this and say, Oh man, you know, we, we've got that fan. We're going to get that same reaction and, and not only make it a special night for your staff, because, because again, everybody that's, that's everyone loves that person in your stadium. The fans love that person in your stadium too. So it's not just about getting people in the ballpark and, and making a fun promotion. It is going to be a memorable promotion um, and night for everybody involved. I mean, we're, we're, a, we're a league that, you know, and, and working in sports and stuff, you got to tie uh, a tug on people's emotions and tie into that, uh, into that thing. It's not necessarily about the win or loss on the field. It's what goes on everywhere else. And this can make it, you know, uh, I guarantee you uh, the day after no one's going to remember, maybe except for Mark, actually, no one's going to remember if the Bisons won or lost that game. It's going to be about everything else and every other team. They know right now, oh, geez, we could do that for this person and that person. I just encourage them, go on with it and do it. All right, Anthony. Well, before we let you go here, uh, I'm just going to let you kind of take the floor one last time and just share what is your favorite Mark story over the last two decades? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know how much time we got left because there's so <laughs> many of them. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Yeah, you can take as go. much time as you want. <laughs> all right. I will. All right. So, so Mark, um, 
know, he's gone through a couple iterations of his, of, uh, of where he works and stuff. So at the previous place he worked, the Olmstead center, um, he worked, he now works at the Candelician center, which just a little plug on this. Um, we are going to be doing, uh, 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 you know, whatever I'm going to do it. We're going to, I would say we're going to be doing other things, uh, around Mark for this game that is going to fundraise for his, uh, for his, the, his place of work, great 501 C three, um, Candelician center. They, they employ, um, folks just like Mark around and to give them, you know, give them something to do, give them employment, make some money. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna not only just do this for Mark, but for where he works as well too, because like I said, this previous place, um, had to shut down his department, which was a tough, tough few years for Mark specifically and for his whole family. Um, but anyway, so in his previous place, Mark would get out of work, I would say at like three o'clock and he would take his bus down to the ballpark. And, you know, so gates don't open for whatever, three hours, but he would just come, he'd eat some of our pregame meal, sit out in the stands and, you know, we'd be taking BP. And one of the times, I don't remember what team it was, but they were having a team meeting down the left field line and Mark just felt like, you know what, I'm going to mess with them. So he walks down all the way down to right where, you know, just about the foul line and they're having their team meeting, all everybody's together. Mark's just leaning over the, the, um, the railing, not doing anything, not saying anything, just listening. And eventually they had a couple guys looked over and like, geez, what, what is Mark doing? What's Mark doing? He's just eyeing us up there. And he's, and look, Mark looked right through you because he's he's legally blind. So he's trying to see if anyone anyone's looking at him. So finally sees if like the whole team's looking at him. And he they were like, Mark, what are you doing? He just starts screaming at them so loud. You guys stink, you know, get out of here, just going off on them that he actually broke up their team meeting. The manager was like, forget it. We're we're giving up. We're giving up. We're not gonna do it. <laughs> so he feels good about it. He starts walking away. They get back together to, to try and start their meeting again. Mark walks right back down, starts screaming at him. They breaks up the team meeting again. So then they have to, then they officially stopped it and went through it. So I'm like, my God, he's just, he's, he's not only taking over games, he takes over pregame and BP and all that stuff. Um, but, um, but no, he, he the, the guy, you know, in tongue in cheek, he can, he can really mess with the other, the other team pretty good. Yeah, and give you guys true home field advantage, which is 100%. what every oh super God, fan yeah. should be doing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing. But that one kind of that one's a, a, a G-rated version of some of the a good stories that uh, that we have about Mark and what he's uh, what what he's done here uh, over the years. All right. Well, we're very excited to to see the bobblehead out in the world on September 2nd. If anybody is in the Buffalo area, or maybe if you're not and you're looking to tick Buffalo off on your uh, minor league road trip, September 2nd is a great opportunity to do that as the Bisons honor Mark Eichinger. Uh, Anthony Sprague, GM of the Buffalo Bisons, thank you so much for joining us and uh, good luck with everything moving forward the rest of the season. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Tyler, appreciate uh, appreciate you being on and, uh, and we look forward to listening to you guys forward. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, as we roll along here on the show before the show, we are joined by, as we always are each week, just in a different place this week because uh, he will be on vacation during our normal recording slot. Benjamin Hill, Ben, thank you so much for being here as you are every week, but thanks for for being here specifically this week. We know you're going to be in Gloucester, Massachusetts uh, for part of the week enjoying some time up there, uh, but how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm in Massachusetts right now in Western Massachusetts in um, Hadley, Massachusetts, which I called a village. And then you scoffed at me because you said that's a legitimate town. It's not a village. Um, but this is where Jill, my fiance's uh, family is from. Uh, so I'm working remotely here in uh, Western Massachusetts today and tomorrow and then headed for the coast to Gloucester. And uh, but anytime I'm in, I'm in Massachusetts, I just think of it as, you know, Sam Dykstra territory, basically. I know between this and ghosts last week, uh, the Pittsfield Hillies, it's been a heck of a time for Western Massachusetts geography on this show, which I, I enjoy. I, uh, I'm grateful that we're doing it and we can educate the public on what is apparently a town in a village. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. Of the woods. It's a beautiful area. I really like it around here. I feel like they got to fix their roads, though. Driving around, I'm like too many potholes. They're They're all beat up and I start to get grumpy, like, you know, like a like a dad driving a car. I'm like, come on, what's up with these roads? But I'm making it through. You sound specifically like my father now. Yeah. As exactly. somebody who's constantly traversing those very same roads that you are on now. Um, but anyway, bef- before you know, we let you go on vacation, we wanted to bring you on the show and, and talk about a few things coming up. Uh, but first, we wanted to start with this story about Caleb Bowman, who if you people haven't heard about him before you definitely should uh because he has one of my favorite routes to the minor leagues uh not just i, I want to say roots to pro ball but he's played pro ball in many many places before landing in what we understand to be affiliated ball um what can you tell us about the long odyssey of caleb bowman yeah, the overseas odyssey of Caleb Bowman. I met Caleb when I was in Biloxi last month. Uh, he is currently a member of the Biloxi Shuckers, a right-handed reliever, and 26 years old. And he's 26 years old and in his first affiliated minor league season. Uh, so obviously, um, took him a while to get here, and it's a really interesting story. I got to shout out the Shuckers broadcaster, Javik Blake, who, you know, when I was planning my trip, to Biloxi, he said, hey, you might want to talk to Caleb Bowman. He has a really inter- interesting story. And as you know, you know, I don't focus on players. I leave that to the experts uh, such as yourself. But when I get tipped to a player with a uh, an unorthodox backstory, I-, I like to pursue it. And Caleb has a really interesting story. Um, he's 26 years old, as I said, in his first minor league season, as I said. And here's something I didn't say. He played in Canada, Australia and Germany before getting his break in minor league baseball. He went to Appalachian State in North Carolina in 2019, didn't get drafted. He wasn't necessarily expecting that, but, um, you know, thought he had some some leads on getting signed after the draft. It didn't work out. You know, it's a pretty common thing. There's a lot of guys vying every year to get signed uh, by major league organizations, both in the draft and afterwards. And he said, you know, I know I've still got baseball left in me, left in me. I know I can get better. I know I'm better now than I've ever been, and I'm not going to give this up. So a friend of his told him about a website, which I've heard mentioned in the past, but um, was it baseballoverseas.com? 
um, or baseballoverseasjobs.com. And uh, he put a profile up on that, you know, kind of like a dating site in its own way. You know, here's who I am. Here's what I bring to the table. Is anyone interested in me? And he was shocked. He, he was got all these offers, uh, you know, from teams all over. And, uh, you know, as you know, the quality of, of play can really vary uh, internationally. But, you know, it's the late summer 2019, and he gets a shot in uh, New Brunswick, Canada with the Fredericton Royals and uh, says, OK, I'm going to go do that plays there for a couple months, you know, kind of like a men's league, you know, not, not a super high level play. And from there gets an offer with surfers paradise, a great name. Uh, They're on the gold coast of Australia. And then he goes to surfers paradise and plays a season there. Then COVID hits. uh, He goes back home. He's working with uh, special needs youth. He's, uh, you know, running a local baseball facility. He's putting videos of himself on Twitter. He's trying to find the next thing. And that ends up to be Regensburg, Germany. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit higher level play out there. Uh, Regensburg was the site of, uh, you know, a World Baseball Classic qualifier uh, this past September. So it's an amazing facility. He was living right near the ballpark, uh, Spent ended up spending two seasons in Regensburg, did really well there, pitcher of the year both years, uh, MVP in 2022. Um, then he thinks he has an opportunity with major league team. It falls through, but he gets an offer from the Gastonia honey hunters of the, uh, that's Gastonia, North Carolina, an independent Atlantic league team. And so he says, okay, I'll pitch for Gastonia. He goes there at the end of the 2022 season does well, you know, the Atlantic league, you know, you get a lot of former major league guys there, pretty high level play, probably the highest level independent league. And from there, finally gets a call from the brewers and says, Hey, you want to sign with us. So he signs with the Brewers, starts with uh, high A Wisconsin Timber Rattlers this season, played 13 games there. And since then, he's played 13 games with Biloxi. And, uh, you know, he's working it out. So, you know, I like to tell guys stories. I, I can't really break down Bowman as a pitcher, Caleb Bowman. Uh, but, you know, he's a shorter guy. He has really long hair, compact build. He's, uh, you know, experimented with a lot of different, uh, you know, arm slots and deceptive deliveries. So I think he's going to get by on, um, maybe not pure overpowering stuff, but a, a perhaps more cerebral po- approach and, uh, you know, keeping the hitters guessing in terms of exactly, you know, what slot he's going to throw from and what the delivery might be like from uh, pitch to pitch. So really interesting dude, um, you know, a real man of faith, you know, his dad is a pastor, um, just profound sense of gratitude for how far he's made it. And uh, I mean, Sam, I, I think I showed you in the office, my interview transcript with Caleb Bowman, I basically asked one question of just it was barely even a question of just kind of like, wow, you've had quite a journey to get to this point. Bam, <laughs> like 3000 word answer. He just took me through everything. Uh, he seemed really happy to talk about it and uh, just exuded a lot of you know positivity and confidence. And I just walked away thinking like this guy is going to be fun to root for. And you know what a story. So uh, that's the Caleb Bowman story. And check it out on MILB.com. Uh, went up today. You know, we're talking here on Tuesday. And gotten a pretty good response uh, thus far. So I think there might be something to this player coverage. <laughs> yeah, we should uh, put you on a few prospect rankings here coming up, Ben, when we yeah, do I'm our re ranking. I'm working. <clears throat> but one, one thing I, I really want to touch on there, what you were talking about, is him being somebody who, you know, will change up his arm slot and move things around and be really cerebral. I mean, that seems like his whole story, right? Is he seems like somebody who's willing to try different things to get to where he wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing about that, you know, when you think about it, 
is, you know, he's not with an organization. So he's not learning some larger organizational philosophies or having some, you know, coaching continuity uh, within a specific system. He's learning as he goes along and learning from other people and, but mostly just learning from himself. You know, he's in Australia and he's throwing on a beach and he's working things out. He's in, you know, Fredericton, New Brunswick, New Brunswick, working things out. He's in Germany, working things out. So that creates a level of, you know, self-reliance and resilience that, you know, I think any player needs to really make it to the major leagues, obviously. But uh, when you don't do it with a larger coaching philosophy and um, you don't have people employed to help and teach you specifically along the way, necessarily, um, that adds a whole nother wrinkle and I think makes it that much more impressive. For sure. And, and like Ben said, check out that story on MILB.com right now um, and learn about the overseas odyssey of Caleb Bowman. Um, speaking of odysseys, Ben, you have a, another road trip coming up. I feel like the well has been dry in terms of us being able to talk about places you've been recently. We talked a lot about your southern sweet swing each week uh, for the last month plus. So now we're going to replenish that a little bit with you hitting the road again. Where are you headed? Yeah, I'll be out uh, at the crack of August. Um, not a local trip per se, but one that I will just be completely car oriented, not getting on an airplane. Um, and and places that I've been to a little more recently, that's all relative with my career. But as, as opposed to my first two trips this season where I was hitting places I hadn't been in 10 or 11 years, for the most part now it's uh, places I haven't been to in five or six years, a little more local. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, starting out in Syracuse home of the Syracuse Mets NBT Bank Stadium. Uh, it's only been five years since I've been there, but uh, a lot of ballpark changes in those five years, um, you know, becoming um, owned by the Mets, which was in place five years ago, but it was still kind of a transitional time. Um, but, you know, owned by the Mets, uh, a lot of ballpark upgrades, you know, with recent facility standards uh, and that kind of thing. And um, always just a fun environment, too. Their GM, Jason Smorrell, is just definitely one of the more uh, gung-ho, irreverent kind of characters in minor league baseball. So always looking forward to what he go he has up his sleeve. Last time I was there, they played as the Butter Sculptures, which is a tribute to a New York State Fair tradition. No Butter Sculptures this time around, but uh, you never know what you're going to see in Syracuse. So looking forward to that. And then heading about 70 miles south and one rung down on the Mets minor league ladder to double uh, a Binghamton that team used to be called the Mets. And then of course, in 2017, they rebranded as the rumble ponies because Binghamton has a history of carousels. I believe there was some rich guy in town many, many decades ago who, you know, bequeathed the city with um, many uh, carousels. <laughs> I, I need to look into the story a little bit, but they're the rumble ponies now. Haven't been there. I think since 2017, their first season of the rumble ponies, so uh, looking forward to going back there. Of course, speedies are on the agenda, the local specialty of Binghamton. That's S-P-I-E-D-I-E, -E, uh, little marinated meat, meat cubes, which are just a, uh, a huge thing in Binghamton in that central New York region. Uh, from there, going from the Mets system to the Yankee system on August 3rd, uh, the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders, AAA Yankees affiliate. And I somehow haven't been there for nine years and uh, I'm really looking forward to going back there because, as I've probably mentioned on this podcast before, and also recently uh, in my newsletter, I've been asking people to share memories of their first minor league game, which has been uh, getting me to think about mine. You know, as I get these emails, people sharing their memories, I think about my first minor league game, and it was Grant Wilkesbury, 1989, the inaugural season of that franchise when they were called the Red Barons and they were a Phillies affiliate. So 
Yikes. I was doing that math just earlier today. I was like, what? <laughs> that was 34 years ago. I went to my first minor league game. In yeah. And uh, obviously a lot has changed since then. And I did see the ballpark in its new form. Uh, there was a year, I want to say 2010 or 2011, uh, where that ballpark, which was originally called Lack- Lackawanna County Stadium uh, and modeled after the vet in terms of its dimensions and artificial turf, uh, Philadelphia's veteran stadium. Uh, it was basically completely torn down. The team spent a whole season on the road and um, it was built back up and it's now called PNC Field. They're now Yankees affiliates. So a lot has changed, but still it's baseball in the location where I, I saw it first, uh, at least minor league baseball. So I have a lot of great memories there and uh, looking forward to going back there for the first time in nine years. Um, where does the time go? My goodness. And then, uh, you know, uh, Scranton Wilkes-Barre used to be a AAA affiliate. The Phillies AAA, or it used to be the Phillies AAA affiliate. The Phillies AAA affiliate now, of course, is Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. So uh, going to hit them up. Been another, again, five or six years since I've been there. And they are playing on uh, August 4th, a Friday, as Scrapple. The Scrapple? I guess just Scrapple. And, um, you know, that's something I wouldn't quite say I grew up with it. But, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania, I was aware of it. Um it's actually pretty good. It's not gluten-free, so I'm not supposed to have it these days in my celiac disease life. Um, it doesn't sound appetizing, but it's pretty good. It's called Scrapple, and that's kind of what it is. You know, scraps. It's a, like a meat mush that is then pan-fried and usually comes out in a kind of a crispy rectangle. And it's a breakfast meat of choice in areas of Pennsylvania, as well as areas of uh, Maryland. The Delmarva Shorebirds also have a Scrapple identity. So let it be known that there are two Scrapple identities in minor league baseball in Lehigh Valley. That's Allentown, Pennsylvania, and in Salisbury, Maryland with the Delmarva Shorebirds. They're playing as a Scrapple. A problem with Scrapple as an alternate identity is it is just a brown rectangle. It's hard to make that pop. It's hard to anthro. Not many colorful aspects to the Scrapple. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's not yeah, not many colors. Doesn't naturally anthropomorphize and take on eyes or body parts, swing bats. But you know, you got to celebrate the uh, regional breakfast cuisine and make do. And I think because I do have that local connection, uh, you know, to the Phillies, to Pennsylvania, to uh, the Scrapple region of this country, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, knowing a few people including yourself, obviously, who are from the Philly area. The amount I've learned about Scrapple in the last decade has been more than I could have imagined. So it's, it's definitely something that gets people excited, which is the whole point yeah. of these food-based identities. Now, have you had it? I've had it once. It was good. It was good. Yeah. It's not something like I seek out in my, I, like, I'm wishing Brooklyn would get Scrapple, but like, it's good. It's fine. But doesn't that seem like something Brooklyn would get eventually? It's like, oh, this is this is a place that sells scrapple like high it probably scrapple. exists it probably does. i'm just not seeking it out but yeah i'm sure it exists somewhere in one of these bagel spots in our in our great borough um speaking of hitting the road then i will be on the road with our friend and colleague kelsey hennigan this week we are going to nashville and we're going to bring a lot of stuff from nashville to next week's episode it's going to be our themed episode of the show before the show for this month of july uh, it's going to be the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month. But you've been to Nashville. You've been everywhere. So what do you remember about visiting the Sounds? And, and you know, what can you kind of do to preview our trip down there? Yeah, I w- I've been to Nashville, I believe, three times. But just once in, I say their new ballpark, but it's not that new anymore. Um, 
that ballpark is now called, is it First Horizon Fields? <laughs> yeah, I know the name has changed since it first opened. I went there in the inaugural season, which is, I want to say, 2014 or 15. First Horizon Park, just First Horizon Park, in case yeah. anybody's yelling yeah. at their podcast device right now. First Horizon Park. First Horizon Park. Uh, I went there when it first opened. Uh, didn't even get a full game in because uh, some heavy rains came later in the evening. Um, but I think you'll enjoy that one quite a bit. Um, the former home of the sounds, uh, you know, for many decades from the 70s, you know, in, in through 2014 or so. Um, you know, was Greer Stadium, and that was a definitely a little bit more of an out of the way location, a definitely a ramshackle facility. And so, while it had its charms, and I liked Greer, when you're talking about a market like Nashville, you know, which is in many respects a major league, quote unquote, market, if not a major league team, but just in terms of uh, demographic and uh, you know, population size, population density, um, all the cultural things going on there. I mean, that's the kind of city that does need. Uh, if you're going to have minor league baseball, you know, something that really is in the downtown and, you know, the same way Charlotte did as well. You know, Charlotte, kind of a similar market, you know, used to play in South Carolina and were kind of out of the way and didn't draw too well. But then they got in the downtown and started doing really well. And same thing with the sounds. Um, you know, it's a ballpark. Things are sprouting up around that immediate area of the ballpark when I visited. And I'm sure you'll see a lot more of that in terms of, uh, you know, housing and businesses and restaurants right around that ballpark. Um you know, they really started to embrace the hot chicken theme, you know, as soon as they moved to the new ballpark with a hot chicken mascot selling hot chicken uh, at the ballpark and uh, recently unveiling their hot chicken identity. And that's another one I really wish I could eat myself, um, you know, being uh, gluten free. Um, but hearing stories from people in Nashville the last time I was there about hot chicken, I think at the ballpark, you're going to have it pretty mild. It's a ballpark. They're not trying to you know, send people to the hospital or have them just like convulsing in their seats. But legit real deal Nashville hot chicken is very, very spicy. It's not the kind of thing you just say, oh, yeah, I like spicy food. Let me get it extra hot. It will debilitate you. And a lot of these places are kind of hole in the wall joints open real late. You go in at two in the morning, maybe feeling a little bit more courageous than usual. And oh, boy, <laughs> you know, people have stories about Nashville hot chicken. And the original story behind it, it was um, a woman, you know, who had a man who was a perhaps a bit of a uh, ne'er do well, and he came in late at night, and she was sick of his antics and his drunkenness, and so he was hungry, and she was having none of it. So she made his chicken super, super spicy as like revenge. But he was like, actually, this is pretty good. You know, you you dredged it in so much cayenne. I'm kind of feeling this heat. I like it. That's the story. I don't know if that's apocryphal, but uh. You know, it's a big part now of the Nashville Sounds uh, ballpark culinary experience. And, uh, you know, as I said, the mascot and uh, the alternate identity. So curious to see what you and Kelsey end up with on the on the hot chicken front. Um, also, a great record store. I mean, many great record stores in Nashville's, but uh, in Nashville. But if you get the time, hit up Grimey's, G-R-I-M-E-Y-S. Um, actually, I know a guy who works there, Tyler. He's a great dude. He'll hook you up. You know, we, we love people named Tyler on this podcast. Uh, but great record store there and also a, a great, great burger place near Greer Stadium. If you want to see what remains of Greer Stadium and get a uh, get a good burger, Gabby's Gabby's Burgers is uh, truly excellent and might give you a chance to uh, to wander around the old baseball landscape, which last I saw at Greer was just overgrown and kind of haunted looking and sad, but kind of cool looking. I don't even 
know what happened with the old guitar scoreboard there but of course the um i think that was sold but of course the new ballpark first horizon field has its own new iteration of oh did i say it wrong it's park park it is park first horizon park has its uh, a new gleaming guitar scoreboard and that of course immediately establishes the primary identity not the hot chickens but the sounds that's of course an allusion to being the sound of nashville and when you have a guitar scoreboard um, that really hammers the point home I think uh, seeing the scoreboard is going to be one of my biggest things to do. I mean, quite literally, considering the size of it. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I've been to Nashville. I went down for the first time almost two years ago, and I had a hot chicken sandwich. And it was just painful to work through. I mean, you get to a point where it's just like, this is not enjoyable. This is me just trying to force this hot thing. Like I, I, I don't handle spice as well as others, I guess. And Maybe, like you said, I didn't have an, enough liquid courage in me to, to be trying it at the hour that I did, which was like the normal seven o'clock hour. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, there, there's degrees to everything. So I, I think I have to keep trying it and I'll find one I like. Yeah, work your way up during your time there, you know, have mild for breakfast, hot for lunch and uh, extra hot for dinner and then see where see and then sleep it off. Yeah, Sleep it off. If, if you can sleep after that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Ben. But, uh, you know before we send you off on vacation normally we do this at the end of the show but since you'll be off this week what's a promo to watch for people uh going into next week what is a promo to watch you know i was looking up that up earlier and i didn't see any that were just like really really um jumping out at me the way they sometimes do um i want to give a retroactive shout out to uh you know our friends the jacksonville jumbo shrimp for having a um mr potato head night uh, last week where they gave fans actual potatoes and then had body parts, you know, plastic body parts strewn on a table on the concourse to create your DIY Mr. Potato bobbleheads. So nothing quite that creative coming up this week. Here's something I'm intrigued about and I can't find as of yet. And I have, I should reach out to the team, um, you know, exactly why this is what they're going with, but round rock express uh, who, you know, play right outside of Austin big market speaking of big triple a markets like nashville uh round rock express are certainly one of them but they're playing as the donuts the round rock donuts on uh july 21st which according to my records would be uh what day is the 21st that is uh i'm all out of whack with this time as as many people in the world of baseball are right now july 21st is <laughs> oh wow that's coming up yeah it's friday i knew that i knew that all along they're playing the round rock express are playing as the donuts on friday and so this is an opportunity for us all to learn usually i get on here and i talk like i'm an expert and i know everything i don't know why the round rock express are going to be the donuts austin you think of mexican cuisine maybe tacos specifically uh donuts i haven't heard people talk about the donuts of round rock or austin but there has to be a connection there so we're going to learn together well i i mean and i'm sure there's more educational opportunities ahead on this i just went to roundrockdonuts.com and on their website it says since 1926 people from all over the world have been stopping by to give our famous yellow or are they orange question mark donuts a try round rock donuts made from the original owner's recipe are created with as much care and finesse as they were years ago so it just seems to be like a really local 
staple. Uh, oh, it says that's great. That's even better as opposed yeah. to just kind of like a, a regional specialty like Scrapple. This is like a, a specific business, perhaps, that they're really paying homage to. And not just Austin, because a lot of time with Round, Round Rock is a pretty big town in and of itself, but Austin kind of dorse it. So when you talk about something Round Rock is doing, you just you just think of it in Austin terms. But maybe this is also really more hyper specific to Round Rock, which is uh, that's a good thing, too. We're going to yeah, learn this together. And these are also they look more like I would call them munchkins, but they're like donut holes instead of round donuts um or o-shaped donuts i should say so i don't know if you're from that area and you know exactly what's special about round rock donuts hit us up on twitter he's on twitter at ben's biz uh we'll get more information from this and find out exactly what's going on with the donuts maybe we'll have to try them sometime whenever we get down to, to round rock next but uh go enjoy your vacation ben go enjoy the lovely town that is hadley massachusetts and uh the, the seaside scape that is gloucester and we'll catch you next week Thanks, Sam. Yeah, I'm enjoying it out here. It's very quaint and homey, and I can see how people like yourself just turn out to be such well-rounded and um, uh, just nice to be around individuals. Just good, hearty stock up here. I, I like all these uh, New Englander, New Englanders, and specifically those from Massachusetts. And it's good to be around your people. Well, you're welcome anytime, Ben. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One now belongs to the ages. The others are yet to find their place in time. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Bremerton Blue Jackets. B. The Goldsby Yellow Sox. C. The Baton Rouge Red Tops. You'll be cloaked in sadness if you didn't pick A. The Bremerton Blue Jackets who launched from the Washington town on the Sinclair Inlet in 1946, that post-war year in which Naval Station Bremerton opened to give a home to the Pacific Reserve Fleet. Blue Jacket, of course, is slang for sailor, and our Blue Jackets navigated the wild waters of the Western International League from 1946 till 1949. The Western International League W.I.L. was often referred to as the Willy Loop, and the will of the Blue Jackets was fairly strong. They finished their first year in third place, 73 and 63, with banner performances from William Beresoff, who led the league with 40 homers and 133 runs and tied with 155 RBIs, and Clarence Fettermeyer, who won a league-best 21 games on the mound. Those debutante Blue Jackets sailed a little smoother because of the leadership of skipper Sam Gibson. 
Gibson had been a big leaguer with the Tigers, the Yankees, and the Giants in the late 20s and early 30s before achieving legendary status as an ace of the San Francisco Seals from 34 to 44. He posthumously went into the Pacific Coast League Hall of Fame at the same time as former teammate Joe DiMaggio. But really, the historical significance of the Bremerton Blue Jackets' inaugural season, and arguably their entire existence, is tied to one of the most tragic events in American sporting history. On June 24, the Spokane Indians were making their way across the state for a series at Bremerton when their bus crashed in a horrific accident on a mountain road, plummeting 300 to 500 feet. Eight players were killed instantly, and one died days later from injuries sustained in the crash. The driver and six other players were also seriously hurt. Miraculously, an infielder named Jack Lorkey had been spared when the bus stopped for food shortly before the accident, and a highway patrolman passed along word that Lorkey had been promoted to the PCL San Diego Padres. Lorkey began hitchhiking back to Spokane. Find much more about his complicated and often bizarre life in an MLB.com story by Michael Clare. Fittingly, after the freak events of 46, the Blue Jackets moved into their strange era, as Alan Inky Strange took over as manager for 47. Ole Inky worked as a printer in the offseason, so he was in prime position to give the Blue Jackets a little color. A one-time bat boy for the Philadelphia Phillies, an erstwhile infielder for the St. Louis Browns and the Washington Senators, Strange retired as a player after appearing in a handful of PCL games the year before he came to Bremerton. He served three seasons as skipper of the Blue Jackets, going on to manage Spokane as well as Seattle's PCL club. But Bremerton came in third place in 47, second place in 48, and finished eighth and finished altogether in 49, as the board of directors acted to move the team to Eugene, Oregon, and principal owner W.W. Shepard insisted his flock could not thrive there. Ultimately, the franchise was replaced by a Tri-City entry. And that's how the Blue Jackets faded to black. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams had lots of experience in the minors of yesteryear? A, the Ocala Old Timers. B, the Lake Erie Seniors. C, the Dayton Veterans. Want to know the answer? Act your age. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, wants to play pool, and I've got to get him chlorinated. <laughs> Second of this week's episode of the show before the show, a huge thanks uh, again a little while ago to Buffalo General Manager Anthony Sprague for joining us. Uh, good to hear from Ben, of course, as well in your special segment uh, with our good pal Benjamin Hill. And uh, before we get out of here, MILB.TV is where you can catch all the top talent across minor league baseball. Sam, what do you got this week? Yeah, so I will, as you just heard me talking to Ben, I will be traveling to Nashville. Uh, this weekend with our own Kelsey Hennigan uh, for the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month. That will be on Sunday, Sunday night. Uh, tune into that game. We're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff. I will be in the booth at some point during that game. 
just talking about Brewers prospects and, and we'll be doing all sorts of fun stuff around the game. We'll be giving a ballpark tour of First Horizon Park, uh, getting you an up close and personal tour, of course, of that guitar scoreboard. Uh, I will be talking to Sal Freilich, uh, one of the top prospects in the Milwaukee Brewers system about a number of things. We'll be doing that on the MLB Pipeline uh, Instagram page. Team we'll Italy World Baseball Classic star Sal that, Freelich, by the that way. That might be coming up. That might be coming up. I also ha will have to break it to him. He went to Boston College. I went to Boston University. I don't know if I want to broach that topic at the start of the interview. or A lot like of bean pot him. conversation. Yeah, a lot of uh, smack talk. That he he played baseball. We don't have a baseball team, so he he has one up on me. So technically, you were undefeated against Sal Freelich during his college career. Technically true. Technically true. Uh, so was he. But... I'm going to go with that line, but you know, because he's a very good baseball player. But it, a lot of fun stuff we'll be doing on that, and that will be next week's themed episode of the show before the show. All sorts of interviews, including that one with Sal, um, and hopefully one with Sounds Manager Rick Sweet, who is. Been with Nashville for a while, has been managing in the minor leagues, seems like forever. He's going to have a hopefully a lot of good stories to tell. And we'll find some other nooks and crannies of the ballpark, try to bring it to you, a little bit of taste of Nashville on next week's show. So tune in for that. That Please watch the game on Sunday uh, if you're able, or you know, tune into any Nashville matchup against Jacksonville the, the coming days. But definitely Sunday is the game we'll be blowing up. Tyler, where you got your eye on? So, Sam, did you know that right now the top nine prospects, according to the MLB Pipeline Top 100 prospects list, are all in double A? Did you know that? I did. It's kind of crazy because, like, normally we, you know, we don't, I don't say we prefer, but like, it's easier to make a case in the top 10 for guys who have upper level experience. So, guys who have, who have been in the major leagues or in triple A. And the way we've just kind of had graduations, Ellie De La Cruz being the latest one those types have just kind of fallen off. And now we're getting guys who are just reaching double a like the top prospect in baseball, who is who Tyler top prospect in baseball is one Jackson holiday and Jackson holiday and his team, the double a Bowie Bay Sox will be taking on baseball's number four overall prospect. Washington Nationals outfielder James Wood and the Harrisburg Senators. So you can watch the number one and number four prospects in baseball square off this week on MILB.TV as O's and Nats prospects battle it out. The battle of the beltway. I don't know. Is that, is that a, I'm sure that's a term. I don't know if I don't it, think, I don't think they've used that term. Yeah. I also don't know how Harrisburg, Pennsylvania feels like. Being That's part true. of the Beltway. Well, but you know, the, the parent clubs. Yes, know? no, the parent clubs. Oh, by the way, uh, the Beltway series promoted by the teams as the Battle of the Beltways is the Major League Baseball Interleague Rivalry Series played between the Baltimore Orioles and Washington Nationals, according to Wikipedia. So there you go. So there we go. I would have figured it was something where it was like, oh no, it's you know, Georgetown basketball against uh James uh James Madison. Madison. Is James Madison even? I don't even know if it's on a beltway. I don't know what the beltways really are. I know they're highways. George, Georgetown versus American. Do they play in basketball? Yeah, Americans exactly. in school in DC. George Mason, maybe. George I know Mason, George Mason's yeah. out there. Uh, James Madison's in in Virginia, right? Yes. I'm gonna stop talking before I <laughs> put my put my foot in my mouth. I'll just, I'll just add this college then. locations. <laughs> Harrisburg also added uh, Brady House this week. Uh, they got him out of Wilmington real quick, and they've been pretty upfront about that. Wilmington is an extreme pitcher's park. Uh, it can be difficult to show your power there, and that's Brady it is House's a graveyard. 
yeah, number one skill is his ability to drive the ball. So getting him up to double A in a little bit more of a fair environment and getting him in that lineup alongside James Wood and alongside Robert Hassel III. Uh, if you're a Nats fan, that's a great opportunity to get an up close view of your future. What's kind of funny too is like, ah, oh, they had to rush Brady House out of Wilmington because it's such a, a pitcher's park. Brady House was hitting 317, 368, 540 in Wilmington. So he's doing okay, yeah. uh, even despite the park working against him. I mean, honestly, I think that's part of the reason why they pulled the parachute. Was yeah. like, we, if he's doing well now, let's just yeah, get he's him doing out of there. before it goes south. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Get him up. Let him have that confidence of of having uh, succeeded in a, a difficult hitter's environment. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, and uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Huge thanks to everybody that stopped by. And uh, for Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, and all the rest, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. 